Welcome to another message from Bridge Assembly, located at 725 Granite Avenue in Helena, Montana. For more information on Bridge, go to our website at bridgehelena.com. It is our prayer that this message will help you to connect with God, connect with others, and connect others with God. Father God, help us. Help each one of us. Help this world. Help our town. Lord God, we cry out for your help. And Lord God, you provide help in so many different ways. And one of those ways is the leading of your spirit. So Lord God, as you desire to lead us, help us to see it. Help us to to run to it. Lord God, let us not be, be like the the disobedient dog that pulls against the leash that tries to fight being led but let us be the the broken meek horse that has an understanding of its master and is led with slack lines lord god help us to be that that we are so involved with you that we are so desiring you that, Lord God, being led by your Spirit is an easy thing, not a scary thing or, or something that we push against in our rebellion. So, Lord God, in our humility, we, we lay down everything this morning and, and we say, Father, I, I desperately need to be led by your Spirit. Jesus, we thank you for giving us your Spirit. Lord God, you said that, that you must leave so the Spirit may come. And, and to the original hearers of that, that must have been so confusing. And, and, and Jesus, sometimes when we read your word, that's confusing to us, that, that it would be better that you go away so the Spirit could come. But, but when we truly grasp you and, and we truly hang on to you and we truly convene with the Holy Spirit, we understand why that was such an important statement. So, so Jesus, thank you for giving us your Spirit. Holy Spirit, lead us. Give us your discernment. Give us your wisdom. Cause us to want to, to put our theology into action, to put our knowledge into use. Because, Lord, I believe that's where you give us that wisdom when we actually apply what you are teaching us. So, so Lord, help us to be not just hearers, but doers of the word. Jesus, today is, once again, like every single day, it's all about you. We pray for Israel. We pray for the Palestinians. We pray for for that entire situation and all those people because those people are apart from you. And Lord God, though we support Israel, we can never discriminate in terms of of who we truly desire come to you and are changed by you and have your eternal promise. So Lord God, as we stand with Israel and we pray absolutely for our Jewish friends and our Jewish brothers and sisters, we pray that they 
come to the true Messiah, the knowledge and understanding of the true Messiah. And we also pray for those Muslim nations that are so confused and so deceived and so mixed up. Lord God, may there be a mighty move of the Holy Spirit within those nations as well. Ultimately, Father, we know that we must pray your will because it is your will that will be done. And as we read our Bibles and we see the prophecies in there, we understand that the certain things have to happen. But Lord God, that doesn't stop us for praying for, for people to continue to come to you and to faith in your Son. So Jesus, today, that's our, that's our desire. And it's not, it's not isolated to that region of the world. That's an all-encompassing prayer. That's definitely a prayer for our own backyard here in Helena. So many, so many here in Helena need to come to you. They need to step into your light, to step into your presence. So Jesus, let us be image bearers. Let us be stewards of your worship. Let us be ambassadors to take who you are in the beautiful gospel message into our own backyard. Jesus, we pray this in your precious and amazing and beautiful and powerful name. And everybody said, Amen. You guys can be seated. All right. Lots of people traveling or sick. A lot of sickness going through through the town right now. And we, we pray that, that people get better and that it doesn't linger and it just <laughs> people get over it. But at least we're getting through the sickness early, right, in, instead of late. Um, kids. Kids, you guys are dismissed this morning. We are a quiet church this morning. Woo! Woo! All right, we got some... We got some... (laughs) There we go. We got some quick announcements this morning. 40 Days for Life is coming up. It is coming up. There it is, um, plan, at Planned Parenthood, obviously. It's Tuesday, October 24th. That's this coming Tuesday from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. is really our time um, that we would sure like to get that filled. Um, it says, please sign up in the foyer, but I was the only one who signed up in the foyer. So you know what that means. It means we're passing this around. We need pe- We need to stand here, you know, again, we see stuff going on in the world and sometimes it takes our attention in this way or that way or it's just busy or look at what the weather's supposed to do and we have all these excuses as to why we're not standing firm and praying for something as important as this. So I'm going to pass this around and uh, my hope is is that, let's see, we need one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven slots to be filled. Just 11. And if, uh, if it's like I really can't come at the open time, sign up. Just because we have one person during that hour doesn't mean we can't have 50 people 
during that that same hour but but my hope is is that we can sign get this signed up because it is it's that important it's one of the i mean honestly um politicians drive me nuts i think all of us are losing trust in politicians so so you know who i'm going to support and what i'm going to vote on comes down to very few um reasons and one of those stances and, and reasons is is abortion and and where that person stands on abortion i'm going to vote that way and and there's a couple others but but really the way it's always been is is hey it, it it's where do you stand on on abortion and and if they if they stand pro-life it seems like everything else cascades into into a lot of other things that i believe in and if they are pro-abortion um I guess you can't say that, right? It's not pro-abortion, it's pro-choice. Um, we know what that means and everything trickles down from there. So this is incredibly important to, to actually go there, right? It's, it's going there and praying. I want you guys praying all the time, but to actually commit and drive there and to walk around that place and to, to interact with other people that are praying and praying for those workers that are walking in and, and people that are going for whatever reason, that's so important. So please sign up for that. And then next Sunday is last Sundays. It's the last Sunday of the month, so please plan on attending that. Invite. Just invite people. Just invite say hey we're doing a potluck at church will you come and and that uh, you just never know so plan on doing that bring a main dish and a side like always trunk or treat is then uh tuesday the 31st the 31st is a tuesday right yes and it's from four to seven and i'm happy to say as of this morning we have 13 for sure trunks with a couple question marks right um but we have 13 for sure which is a great number but it would be better to have 15 or even 17 so if you're not signed up for that yet please sign up um still bring candy we can still use more candy but if you are planning on having a trunk listen close this is very important if you're planning on having a trunk do not show up at 4 p.m because that's when it starts so we block the parking lot off so Try to be set up by 345, 350 at the latest. If it's like last year and the year before, though it may start at 4 p.m., the kids are raring to go, you know, a lot earlier than that. So just please be here a little bit early to get set up and everything. If you're helping, popcorn or cider or candy runner or anything, of course, be here. Don't come at 4 once again because we're going to be... Rocking and rolling at four from four to seven. Let's hope that the weather is amazing. And then finally, Operation Christmas Child. Yes, there's boxes. There, the what? Charmaine says, get your boxes. And what Charmaine says, we do. So get your boxes, get them filled. And November 19th, we're doing it in honor of Levi's birthday, is November 19th, so we're all bringing the, the boxes back. Um, he said, if people would just do that in lieu of my birthday presents, he would love that. That's what he told me. Um, 
Actually, we're going to talk a little bit about lying today in the message, so I'm feeling really convicted right now. Um, but please get, get a box or two boxes or three boxes, but you've got to have a separate pamphlet for each box. The other challenge, our biggest challenge in Operation Christmas Child is fitting everything in the box. But because they need to stack these boxes and ship them, it's important to not have it overflowing. You've got to have it taped shut and everything. Don't bring a box that's overflowing and, and think, hey, they're going to take that. It's, it's, they do things for a reason. All right. Let's do a legislative update real quick here. Where is it? I don't know. There it is. A federal judge in Montana is continuing to block enforcement of a law that puts restrictions on drug shows and bans drag reading events in public schools and libraries saying Friday, that would have been a week ago Friday, that the law targets free speech and expression and that the text of the law and its legislative history invents anti-LGBTQ plus animus. The preliminary injunction granted by U.S. District Court Judge Brian Morris prevents enforcement of the law while a lawsuit filed on July 6th moves through the court process. Morris heard arguments over the injunction on August 28th. In briefs, the state argued the legislature determined sexually oriented performances and drag reading events to be indecent and inappropriate for minors, said potentially harmful. Protecting minors from divergent gender expression is not the same as protecting minors from obscene speech, attorney Constance Van Clay argued for the plaintiffs during the August 28th hearing. Montana law already protects minors from exposure to obscenities, the plaintiffs argued. The state hasn't argued meaningfully that the speech targeted by the new law beyond the obscenity already regulated is potentially harmful to children, the plaintiffs argued in court filings. The state is not trying to establish a new obscenity standard in regulating drug performances, Assistant Attorney General Michael Russell said during arguments over the injunction. We're arguing that they're indecent and improper for minors only. And the state has interest to protect minors from that kind of conduct, he said. No evidence before the court indicates that minors face any harm from drag-related events or other speech and expression critical of norms. Morris wrote in granting the injunction, Morris had granted a temporary restraining order against the law in late July in time to allow Montana Pride to hold its 30th annual celebration in Helena without concerns about violating the law. The judge said the way the law was written would disproportionately harm not only drag performers, but any person who falls outside traditional gender and identity norms. He said the law did not adequately define actions that might be illegal and appears likely to encourage arbitrary and discriminatory enforcement. The law seeks to ban minors from attending sexually oriented performances and ban such performances in public places where children are present. 
However, it does not adequately define many of the terms used in the law, causing people to self-center out of fear. Uh, prosecution attorneys for the plaintiffs argued. The law also made Montana the first state to specifically ban drag kings and drag queens, which it defined as performers who adopt a flamboyant or paradic, paradic I, don't, I don't think that's the right word, but that's what it is, male or female persona with glamorous or exaggerated costumes and makeup from reading books to children in public schools or libraries, even if the performances do not have a sexual element. The term, the law does not define terms like flamboyant, paradox, or glamorous, Morris said in July. Enforcement can include fines for businesses if minors attend a sexually oriented performance. The law also calls for the loss of state licenses for teachers, librarians, and the loss of state funding for schools, libraries that allow drag reading events to be held. It allows someone who, as a minor, attended a drag performance that violated the law to sue those who promoted or participated in the event at any time over a 10-year period after the performance. Montana's law is flawed. Similar like laws of Florida and Tennessee that have been blocked by courts because it regulates speech based on its content and viewpoint without taking into account its potential liberty, artistic, political, or scientific value more is found in The U.S. Supreme Court in 1972 set guidelines to determine whether something is obscene, whether the work appeals to the prurient interest or degrading or excessive interest in sexual matters, whether it depicts or describes sexual conduct in a patently offensive way, and whether the work lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. Like many Republican-led states, Montana's conservative lawmakers have passed other laws targeting transgender people. The state's law banning gender-affirming medical care for minors has been blocked by a state judge. It's the same judge. Montana's Republican-controlled legislature also passed a bill to define sex as only male or female in state law. That law was challenged this week with arguments that it blocks legal recognition and protections to transgender, non-binary, and intersex residents. It is absolutely impermissible for the government to deny benefits to a group of people on basis of their straightforward hostility to them, said Van Clee. In the male or female sex case, there is pretty substantial evidence that the intent was to target transgender people, Van Clay added. So now they're protecting the drag queens. One thing I will note with this is these kids do not get there on their own. These parents are taking them to these drag story hours. And at the parade, there were three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and five-year-olds watching this. So. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit crazy and it should disturb us. But it's also no surprise because it, it really does come down to a, a Jesus issue, doesn't it? If, if somebody knows Jesus, if they, they fully have a relationship with Jesus, this isn't even a, a discussion. And, and we as born-again believers need to be in prayer, obviously, for this cultural decay eroding. Um, Pray for that judge that that he figures some some things out and and everything and and really it's it's all about protecting the kids and the way it's written it's just like you can't have it in public school you can't have it in public places come on right 
You can't have prayer in public school. You can't have prayer in a lot of public places. So it's, it's really asinine. It's, it's really crazy. So let's be in prayer. Um, continue to pray about that. That's our culture right here um, in our town, in our state. But it, it defines, defines a lot. Oddly enough, we're going to be talking about all this in the message today as well. All right, four ways to give. You know that. Why did two of my lights change to red and green? Does that bother you guys too, or am I just like, don't turn around. I have to turn around. Oh, gosh. And if, you know, there, if that red one was one in, then it'd be more symmetrical. I'd be better with that, but it's not. So anyway, you can give online at bridgehelena.com. You can text the amount to 84321. Giving boxes, or you can mail it. 59601, awesome stuff. I was told right before I, I came up by Reva, and whatever Reva tells you, you just, you know, you do that, that, that Blair was supposed to get the microphone. I don't know if Blair knows that or if Blair was told by Reva as well, but Blair's going to take the microphone now. Um, he actually has some special music for us today. Well, as you all know, is this working? Hey, Carl, is that on? Hey, Carl, okay. As you all know, this is Pastor Appreciation Month. Last year, we decided to give Jason a special gift so he can get out by himself, away from family, and enjoy life. <laughs> and as you know, we got him a fishing rod. Well, lo and behold, while he was out learning how to fish, <laughs> he broke his rod. Well, needless to say, we were fortunate enough to have uh, a good warranty on it, and it got replaced. So this year, to make sure he doesn't get to spend too much time by himself, we decided to get the family something also. So in doing that, uh, we got him a gift certificate to Fairmont Hot Spring for the family and some extra spending money. We also didn't forget Levi and Zana. If someone would be so kind to give them those basket because I wanted one too. <laughs> oh, stay on your feet. Yes, Handy did. She did a very nice job. Better give that to Amy. Okay, I'll <laughs> give this to Amy. So, yeah, thank you. For, for those of us who didn't get a chance to, it's come on kind of quick. So, for those of us that did not get a chance to uh, give a gift to the pastors, we have a couple of baskets in the back, for, you know, so you can drop a gift in there. Thank you very much. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Blair did a good job, Reva. He did a good job. So I think I think he should get his own basket. I really, I really do. So thank you guys. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, 
we'll thank you even more after we use the certificate, I think. That'll be, that'll be nice. So, uh, um, awesome. Well, let's get, uh, let's get rolling on today's message. Um, it's a good one. If you guys have been reading along, um, you know what we're, we're at. Well, you know where we've come from. Um, the last, you know, ever since we started chapter three, it's really been about that practical application aspect of our faith. And, and the way Paul, Paul did it was just amazing. He was so intentional. Yes, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, but he followed the Holy Spirit and he was intentional in how he wrote. And, and sometimes, um, we need to learn from Paul and, and how he, how he just structures things. So, so with Paul, it started out about the supremacy of, of Christ, right? It, and, and the whole book is about the supremacy of Christ. But he, he really started out there. And then really in chapter 2, he went into the, the reasons um, why the false teachers were in, in error. And he wasn't directly um, speaking to the false teachers because this is a letter to the faithful believers. It's a letter to the church in, in, in Colossae. Um, so he talks about the supremacy then he talks about the issues that were going on and why they were false teachings. And then in chapter 3, he comes and he starts to address the faithful believer. He starts to address um, what the faithful believer needs to do, how the faithful believer needs to conduct himself. And, and that's where we're at. We're in, we're in chapter 3. So let's pray and, and we'll, get, uh, we'll get started. Father, Thank you once again for everything that you do for each one of us, Lord God. Thank you that, that we currently live in a free nation. We can come to church um, with, with relatively no resistance. The resistance that we have in coming to church is self-induced resistance. Nobody is preventing us to come except ourselves. So Lord God, help us to get over um, those things. Help us to be a light in the darkness of this community, Lord God. Everything that we just heard about, it is darkness. And Lord God, we need to shine a light into that. Not, not to confront in an angry way, but, but Lord God, to represent you in an appropriate way. Because if we represent you in an appropriate way, Lord, that is the right way. And that is the good way. That is the wholesome way. Lord God, we understand there's a veil of deception over so many people. Lord God, help us to, to never fall under that, but to stand against that. Jesus, we thank you once again for everything. Thank you for being our friend. Thank you for being so close. Thank you for guiding and loving and advocating to the Father about, about us every time that we, we step outside of your righteousness and we do the dumb things that, that we do. Holy Spirit, today you got this. You got this entire service, Lord God. You got every word spoken in this service. So everything that I speak, may it be of you. If it's not of you, shut my mouth with that. And of course, Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask once again, and I believe truly that you answer this prayer immediately, that nobody leaves here today the same way that they came in. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone shout it out. Yeah. That was a little bit louder. kind of liked it. So anyway, back to Colossians um, and we've come a long way in this series. I mean, if you, if you look, we're at part 19, for goodness sakes. Um, 19 weeks 
in such a small book, but it's such a powerful book. And, and I know, I'm, I am totally aware that it's taking a long while to get through it, but really, there is just so much practical teaching packed into this small letter. It's, it's practical, right? We can, we can read it, we can go through it, we can listen to a message about it, and we can take that and immediately apply it into our life. That makes it very practical. See, it's practical teaching that is not only intended for the original reader. Some theologians, some, some people who read their Bible, they can say, oh, well, that was for them not necessarily for us. Let me tell you that, that Colossians was absolutely 100% for the original reader, but it is also 100% also for us today, right now. Right now, as I speak, everything in this letter is relevant. Today we're going to pick it up in chapter 3, and we're going to continue on learning and then taking what we are learning and applying it into our lives. I can't stress that enough, guys. We have to take what we hear. We have to take what we read. We have to take what we study and actually apply it into our lives. Quickly, let's remember why Paul is writing the letter to this church. It's because Jesus is central and supreme to all and in all things. Period. Jesus is the Son of God. Period. We are to strive to live a life in Christ. Period. And then we take this and of course we make it personal in our prayer life and, and in our actions throughout the day and we say, Jesus, you are central and supreme to me and in all things in my life. And Jesus, I truly believe you are the Son of God, the Savior of this world. And Jesus, I will constantly and continually strive to live a life in you as my Lord and Savior. What a great... Um, Statements. These are great statements to incorporate into our prayer life. Now, with this mindset, let's also remember the principles that we found in the beginning of, of, chapter, um, of chapter 3. It was in verse 1 and verse 2, if you remember from two weeks ago. And we're calling that the seek and set principle, right? We're to seek God and we are to set our mind upon, upon the things of Him, upon those heavenly things. Now, this I totally understand and admit that this can be easier said than done. And this is where the practical application actually comes in. It's not enough to know the truth, guys. It's not enough to know the truth. Satan knows the truth. We must live in the truth, and we must walk out the truth. That's imperative for the born-again believers. It's imperative for the health of this church. It's imperative for the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. And that brings us to today and our, our text today. And, and like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a big one. What we are seeing here is, is Paul is asserting the importance of us, the faithful believer, of having self-accountability in our faith. Self-accountability? No, pastor. Do you, do you, do you got to go there? Can't we, can't we skip these few verses about the self-accountability? Because that seems so, well, self-accountable to talk about that. See, self-accountability in turn determines on how we live our life. 
right? We are not robots. Um, when we get saved, uh, God doesn't uh, take our brain away. He doesn't just remote control us. Um, so we have to do everything that he says, and we have no free will in that. See, even after we're saved, we continue to have free will. Well, it's the practical application that, that comes into to effect. It's the self-accountability on our part that determines how we live our life. So though Jesus is both our Lord and our Savior, we have to understand we have a responsibility in how we choose to live our life, right? You can, you can claim to be a born-again believer. You can know that you're a born-again believer. You can be in church every single Sunday. You can do Bible studies every day of the week and, and truly confess that Jesus is both your Lord and your Savior. But understand, you have a choice and a responsibility in how you choose to actually live your life out. See, this is practical teaching. If you don't like practical teaching, there's, there's many other churches you can go to where it's, it's all theory and it's all words, but I want to encourage you to be practically responsible and self-accountable in your own faith. See, this is the, the practical application to our theology, right, and the leading from the Holy Spirit. See, I believe that, that through the Holy Spirit, God grants us this, this whole realm of, of biblical theology, which is so important to know. He, he gives us knowledge, right? He gives us biblical knowledge. He gives us other things of, of, of knowledge. But until we take that theology and that knowledge and actually put it into use in our life, it's never going to become wisdom in your life. Wisdom is the direct result of practical application. You guys agree with that? So you can pray for wisdom. Yeah, God, grant me all the wisdom that, that you can. I want a double portion of wisdom, and I pray for that. And, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, here's the knowledge and the theology that you need. Now go put that into practice, and you're going to gain wisdom through that. It's an amazing thing. It's just an amazing way to teach us and to guide us. Well, if you have your Bibles today, turn with me to chapter 3. Get ready to underline and mark it up and, and all those good things. Chapter 3 in Colossians, we're going to start in verse 5. Get ready. Buckle your seat belts. Put your hard hat on, whatever you need to do. Here's verse 5. So put to death and deprive of power the evil longings of your earthly body with its sensual, self-centered instincts, immorality, impurity, sinful passions, evil desire, and greed, which is a kind of idolatry because it replaces your devotion to God. Woo, yeah, that's an easy verse. We'll just, let's just move on. Let's just go. We got it. We don't need to linger here. The what? Yeah, we're going to linger here. You know we're going to linger here. Because he loves us. God loves us. The Holy Spirit inspired this for a specific reason. So we're going to break this down and we're going to continue. We're going to just keep going and it gets really interesting here. So Paul here, 
is speaking very bluntly about the demands of a new life in Christ. We think everything's easy, right? Jesus, take the wheel. It's all good. I'm going to confess you as Lord and everything's going to be great now. But Paul here is, is like backing us up and saying, hey, hey, there's some demands that come with a new life in Christ. And he brings an urgency here to not only abandon the tendencies of our own life, but also to crush those things that our sin nature attempts to lead us back to. You have to understand that our sin nature is trying to always call us back. Oh, you're a Jesus follower. You're a born-again follower. You have a relationship with Jesus. Come back over here. It's so much fun over here. I've got so much stuff over here. You can be this and that and the other. Our sin nature is, is there right? We need to be putting it to death. We need to be depriving it, but it's there and it's trying to call us back and we have to understand that we need to crush those things. In principle, the faithful believers in the Colossian church had, in becoming Christians, died with Christ. And in principle, we, as followers of Jesus, have done the same. That is why we must identify with both the life and the death of Jesus. Now here in verse 5, the follower of Jesus is, is mandated to make this death to our old life a real and an everyday process. Here's an honest question. Honest question number one. How often do we think about and practically apply this action of putting our old life to death. It's a biblical principle. Jesus taught on it. But how often? Is that a once a year thing? Especially with the, with the Resurrection Sunday service, we talk about Good Friday and the death and the resurrection. And, and in those times we can identify. Maybe it's when we have communion. We can, oh, I can I kind of identify with, with, with the death of Jesus and, and putting, putting off my old life. And, but but Jesus' principles and, and Paul's dialogue here is saying we got to do this way more often than once a year or only during communion, right? Of course, we know once again from the teachings of Jesus, this is actually something we need to be doing on a daily basis on a daily basis. That means we have to be asking questions like this on a daily basis. And we have to be thinking about the, 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 the need to die to ourselves, to die to our sin and nature on a daily basis. Because I'll tell you what, it rears up on a daily basis. What Paul is really speaking of here is, is, is we must come to the the determination in our life that our old life is dead and that our old life has to stay dead. And this is a very strong statement that Paul is conveying here. Listen closely, 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 because this is, this is super important. This is one of the, the really important things that I'm ever going to speak from this pulpit aside from Jesus is Lord, the Son of God, you know, all of that. This is a practical application that you need to remember and put into place in your life. 
Are you ready? Here it is. We are not simply to suppress, control, or manage sinful and evil acts and attitudes in our life. We're not supposed to try to suppress them or to control them or try to manage them. We are to wipe them out completely. We are to exterminate the old way of life. That's what Paul is talking about here. They're harsh words. They're intense words. Paul says it like this. Put to death and deprive of power. See, we get used to hearing, put, put to death your sin nature. Put it to death. Put it to, we, we hear that. And maybe that's where the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit comes into this passage where it says, put to death and deprive of power. So in essence, Paul is saying, don't just put it to death, but also deprive it of that power. Because as long as you allow the old self to have any power in your life, it will constantly be trying to resurface. It will be constantly trying to pull you. It will be constantly rearing its ugly head. I was thinking about how, how, how could we think of this and, and what visual could we use? And I, I came up with this one. It may be good. It may not be good. But think about it like this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I couldn't have paid money to get that reaction. That was the perfect reaction. Obviously, when you look at this, something's happening in your mind. Have, have you ever gotten your fingers caught in a door? Yeah? Something we can all relate to. Now, I'm not talking about getting your, your, your hand or your fingers slammed in a door and the door bouncing back, right? That happens, and oh my gosh, that hurts so bad. But, but I'm talking about the, 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 you get your hand slammed in the door, and then the door latches. And your smashed fingers are stuck in there. And they're being flattened, right? And they're bleeding. And they're bruised. And it's painful, right? It's painful, right? I think we probably all have childhood memories of maybe a, a mom or dad or a, a grandma accidentally shutting your fingers in the door, right? And it's usually a car door, but it could be any other door. Where is your focus at that moment? Your focus is on your fingers, isn't it? You're not sitting there going, I wonder what I'm going to have for lunch. What do I have going on tomorrow? Your focus is completely on your fingers, and even more, your focus is to get the door unlatched, right? Because you're stuck. And there is an urgency because you're in pain, and you want to prevent any more injury. And that's how we need to respond to our sin nature, with an urgency to put it to death so it will stop hurting you and, and, and to prevent any more injury. You ever think of your sin nature like that car door trapping you, sticking you, hurting you? We need to look at it and say, I got to get out of this. I got I to gotta get away from this. I got I to gotta 
put this to death. I've got to deprive the power of its ability to influence me, to injure me, to hurt me. Now Paul goes as far as to giving some specifics on what a born-again believer has to put to death and to deprive of power. Just for fun, let's go through those again. The evil longings of your earthly body with its sensual self-centered instincts, I think that really sums up what we just heard about. Why do you want to be a drag queen and go into public schools and interact with little kids? Well, because there's evil longings of earthly body with its sensual, self-centered instincts. Immorality, impurity, sinful passions, evil desires, and greed, which is a kind of idolatry because it replaces your devotion to God. Now, it's important here to understand that, that Paul is not calling for the physical punishment or, or any maiming of the body in regards to this. See, that's something that the false teachers would have been calling for, right? It's not what Paul's talking about, but rather he's talking about the elimination of the evil longings, the passions, the desires, and the practices of our old sin nature. Well, this is quite a list here, isn't it? Immorality, impurity, sinful passions, evil desires, and greed. And we read that, right? We can honestly sit here and, and read that this morning and, and we can make certain thoughts in our own head and we got to be really, really careful here. Because when we see a list like this one, it can easily be a time we can pat ourselves on the back and say, I'm good. I, I don't participate in any of those things. I I stand against those that do. I, I know that's evil, so look at me, I'm good. And, and let's face it, our, our human nature, our sin nature, often causes us to divert blame and, and sin. See, we can say things like this, at, at least I'm not. We can point those fingers. We can point those fingers at other people that we know who are, or they're engaged in that, so, so let's point our finger at them. See, the value of practical application is that it requires self-accountability. That's why a lot of people don't like the practical application of the Bible, because it requires that self-accountability. Sometimes... Okay, I'll admit it a lot of the times. We just love to point out the faults, the failures, and the mistakes of others. Again, it's our human nature to do so. And did you know that that started way back in the Garden of Eden? After the incidents, right? We know it as the fall of man. Satan came down and he's like, man, you ought to eat from this. And Eve's like, okay, I'll try it. And then, then she's like, hey, Adam, try this. And, and it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that was the fall of man. That caused a, a domino effect. 
And right after that happened, we know that, uh, that God came down and he found Adam. And he said, hey, Adam, what happened? What's, what's going on? And Adam, instead of taking self-accountability, he blames it on Eve. Hey, she, she made me do it. She offered it to me. So God asks Eve, and Eve immediately blames the serpent. No, it was the serpent's fault. It wasn't my fault. It was the serpent's fault. The pointing a finger keeps us from having to look at ourselves. We are always pointing out somebody else's dirty laundry. We don't have to address our own dirty laundry. And there's a lot of Christians that have a laundry room full of dirty laundry. It's overflowing. It's in their closets. It's in their bedrooms. There's dirty laundry everywhere, and yet they want to tell other people that they need to get their own laundry clean. Paul has brought the reader a vital doctrine here. Flip that slide. Salvation in Christ and a relationship with God cannot be based on pointing fingers at others and thinking, at least I'm not as bad as them. Take a picture of that one. Post it on Facebook. See if you can get banned. I don't know. Whatever. But there's so many Christians out there that base their relationship, they base their standing with God by simply saying, well, at least I'm not like those guys. You really want to step into glory, into the afterlife? And I know this doesn't happen, but St. Peter's at the gate and, and says, hey, tell me about your life. You don't want to be the person saying, hey, at least I'm not as bad as the rest of them. Because in many ways, that can make you worse. See, this can be a cancer in our faith if we're not careful. And that's why it's always important to do a continual self-inspection. That's why it's important to have self-accountability. And that's why time at the altar is so important. And that's why we are going to always end with this response time at the altar. Seek, set, guard yourself, and be self-accountable. Let's look at verses 6 and 7 now. Because of these things, sinful things, the divine wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, those who fail to listen and who routinely and obstinately disregard God's precepts. And in these sinful things you also once walked when you are habitually living in them without the knowledge of Christ. This is an incredibly important passage to read and understand here. See, truth, real truth is not subjective, despite what culture is trying to tell you right now. Truth is not subjective. God's truth is absolute. And the righteousness of God demands a penalty to sin. We should look at verse 6 with, with really a future in times wrath of God perspective here. God's wrath will fall upon all of the sons of disobedience. All the sons of disobedience of all times. 
who are defined, really the sons of disobedience would be defined as those who, who fail to listen and to seek the gospel message and those who disregard the precepts of God. They have rejected the gift that Jesus Christ gave us upon the cross. They reject the forgiveness of sins by the blood of Jesus. They are sons of disobedience. That's how they are, they are classified. Paul follows this up with an important distinction here. Listen to this distinction. And in these sinful things, you also once walked when you were habitually living in them without the knowledge of Christ. Underline that, star it, circle it, that's important. So we understand that those sins motivated in verse 5 are those that characterize the pre-Christian experience. We know this by the terms you also once walked and when you were habitually in them. A born-again Christian, as a born-again Christian, these things are to be in our past as well. We are not to be doing them. We are to be done and dead with them. To call yourself a born-again believer means you have died to these things. Habitually engaged in something simply means that it is a habit. And a habit then becomes the standard. If we look around at what our country, at what our state to an extent is habitually engaged in, what it has made a habit of, and thus what is now the standard, it's kind of dismal and it's quite disgusting. Right? We as a country have, have accepted many things. It's not on the outside anymore, it's on the inside. So now we are habitually engaged in those things. I'm not talking about us, the born-again believer. I'm talking about us as a nation. And that now has become the standard. And it very much involves the exact things that we find in verse 5. And there's a somewhat of a dual application going on here. It is important to have a born-again relationship with Christ now in order to live and walk out a life pleasing to God as well as having the promise of eternal glory with Jesus Christ. It's a dual thing, right? We, we follow Jesus. We have a relationship with him for right now, today, as we're sitting here in church this afternoon, tomorrow, next week, next month, while we are still here on earth, we have a relationship relationship with Jesus. That's of vital importance, but, but the dual portion of that is, is that we have the hope of eternal glory with Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. It comes together. In contrast, though, living a worldly, sin-centered life brings pain, brings hardship, it brings hopelessness, and the stench of death right now as well as having the reality of separation from Christ and damnation for eternity. That's a dual purpose over there. Do they understand it? Do they totally know? No, they don't. Some of them do, but a lot of them don't. Why don't they know? Because they haven't been told. Nobody has shared the gospel with them. So we can take what we have read up to this point and have an understanding that we must put to death and continue to put to death those things of our old 
self. Those are our old self, our old self. Understanding that those things we find in verse 5 are the standards of the non-Christian and those things that they engage in. It doesn't make us any better than they are. It just simply means that we came to the better solution, the solution of Jesus Christ. So once again, we don't say, hey, at least I'm not like them, thinking that will make us um, more righteous in God's eyes. Those sins that have become normalized in an ungodly world and all who are apart from Christ will be judged accordingly to those sins, those things we find in in verse 5. But, but we here this morning in church, we're worshiping, we're, we're listening, I hope. We're living out a born-again life. And that's a great thing. But once again, we must guard ourselves against pride and a self-inflated ego here. So now let's look at verse 9, or verse 8, and the beginning of verse 9. You guys are going to Love this one. But now rid yourselves completely of all thing, all these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene, abusive, filthy, vul- vulgar language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. This is really interesting. Because in verse 5, Paul lays out these sins, right? He lays out this list of sins, and then he said, hey, the sons of disobedience that participate in these sins, man, they're not going to inherit glory, right? They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And we're like, hey, we understand that when you're born again, you don't partake in these things. And, and let's move on. Okay, Paul, we got, we got the gist of it. Let's keep going. But then Paul comes to, to, to verse 8, and it says, but now, but now, here's what you need to do. Remember, he's talking to the born-again believer, but now this is what you need to watch out for. This is what you need to take care of in your life. See, Paul just got a whole lot more personal here. Verse 5 had everything to do with the sins of sexual impurity and covetousness. Those things that the unbeliever engages in daily with, with little regard. Those things that the born-again believer is to die and, and keep dead from. But here, in these verses, Paul turns his attention to sins of attitude and of speech. Underline the words, but now. See, these words here, they bring a contrast. Remember, Paul is writing to the faithful believer. He is writing to the born-again Christian. And he is saying, now... My brothers and my sisters in Christ, now rid yourself of these things. See, these are the things that we as Christians can struggle with on a daily basis. We tell ourselves, oh, but come on, pastor, they're not as as big or bad as those things that we saw in verse 5, right? It's not like it's the bad sins in verse 5. I'm just, maybe I flirt with these not-so-bad sins in in verse 8 and the beginning of verse 9. But doesn't God see sin as sin? I think He does. 
The Greek word here for rid yourself gives the imagery of, of stripping off a filthy garment and casting it away. How Paul is wording this here suggests that it is less about something we have done and more about something we must continually do. As born-again believers, we are to rid ourselves or to put off and cast away anger and rage and malice and slander and obscene language from our mouth and we're not to lie to one another. And yes, Paul is very much stepping on toes here because in reality it's those things each one of us as believers can struggle with on a day-to-day -day basis. See, the question here is not, will these things send me to hell? The question must be, are they glorifying to God and appropriate in my testimony to the power of Jesus Christ in my life? Question one is an attempt to push the boundaries of our disobedience. Question two is an honest self-evaluation of our faith in Jesus Christ. I ask you, which would you rather have? Question one or question two? This is the kind of passage, once again, that we would like to move on quickly from. But remember, knowledge is needed to produce that practical application which then produces that godly wisdom in our life. So just for fun this morning, because we have time, let's quickly break down these things that we are to rid ourselves from. Anger. Any of you guys struggle with any anger in here? Oh, I love the honesty. Yeah. You just you were like, man, I know he's getting to the point where we're not supposed to lie. So I'm just gonna raise my hand now. Right? That's good. We have to understand really what anger is. See, anger is a a settling or an ongoing feeling. Anger is what we hold on to toward a situ situation or a, or a person. And, and really, anger can be closely tied to unforgiveness. And we know the dangers of unforgiveness, right? So if we have that unforgiveness, it's really born out of anger. And our anger is fueled by that unforgiveness. So understand that anger is this ongoing, um, unsettling feeling. Rage, on the other hand. Anybody got an issue with rage? Sometimes we get anger and we get rage mixed up here. See, rage is the, the passionate or sudden outburst of displeasure, impertinence, impatience, resentment, or violence. When somebody cuts you off in traffic, somebody that you don't know, and you get, you, oh! that's not by definition anger. That's, by definition, rage. And a lot of Christians struggle with That's why they call it road rage, right? It's not road anger. It's road rage. So we've got to watch. Now, man, now you're telling me I've got I to gotta rid myself of both anger and also rage? I thought they were the same thing, and you're breaking them down, but it makes us think. Right, so we have to practically apply so we don't just we don't uh, miss dealing with anger because we thought it was rage, right? We deal with rage because it's rage, we deal with anger because it's anger. 
Boy, we could stop there and walk out of here saying, I got some stuff to work on. But the list doesn't stop there because now it's malice. Malice? What the heck is malice? Well, malice is a, a general term of, of, of vicious disposition. It's really a desire to do evil. So you're telling me the born-again born believer can struggle with malice? I've met some. Thank God they're not in here this morning. You guys are all saints. But malice can creep in there, right? And it's just, man, I'm going to get back at them. I am going to hold a grudge. And, and man, I just I wake up some mornings and I just want to kick the dog and break my neighbor's windows. Why? I don't know. I just do. It's because you have malice in your life. You need to rid yourself of that malice. And if that wasn't enough, this is a great one. This one camouflages itself really well. Slender. Or slender. <laughs> you guys should not be slender. Rid yourself of this whole idea of being slender. No. It's slander. Slander. Slander is insulting or derogatory talk about someone. You are what you're really doing is you're blaspheming that person, even if it's just a little bit, and even if it's just this or that. And and uh, sometimes Christians love to, you know, as Christians we don't gossip, we don't, but we pray for people. Oh, we need to pray for so and so. Did you hear what's going on in their life? Let me tell you what's going on in their life. So we can pray for them. That's gossip. Gossip is very tied to slander. You're doing it in an insulting way. Um, slander is, 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 is a hard one because, because we have to stand up for what's right, right? We have to stand against abortion and, and those who believe in abortion. We have to stand against that. The LGBT whatever slender people, all of them. We want to stand against that. We want to pray for that. But if not careful, we can cross the lines of, of slander in here, that, it, that insulting and derogatory talk about someone. And it's really tragic when we do it to brothers and sisters in Christ. So we got to watch that slander stuff. We need to, once again, rid ourselves of that slander. And if that wasn't enough, obscene language. Obscene language is, it's having a potty mouth, right? It's cussing, it's swearing. And, and here's the thing, here's the thing about obscene language that I find interesting. As I was putting this together, I was thinking about the obscene language part and, and, and why it's, it's in there and where it's located. And, and I came to a conclusion that that obscene language is usually used in regards to the other sins that we find in, in verses 5 and verses 8, right? We're angry at someone and the obscene language comes out. We're, we're, we're in a rage about someone and the obscene language, and we'll add in their hand gestures, tend to come out. Malice is very um, flavored with obscene language. Slander, 
Slander is, is very tied to obscene language. So, so obscene language is, is, oh, it's just words. Yeah, it's just words. But what you can read in James about just words. But the fact is, is that obscene language is usually tied into those sins we find in verse 5 as well as verse 8. And then Paul comes to this, uh, he kind of, um, can you throw that, that, that text back up? Because if you'll notice this, this is in the, uh, the text, um, Colossians 3, 8, and the beginning of 9. Uh, do you see this? But now rid yourself completely of all these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscenities, language from, or obscene language from your mouth, period. Do not lie to one another. There's a distinction here. He, he, he kind of... He kind of separates this, this last one to seemingly a place in its own light. Do not lie to one another. And maybe, just maybe, he does this because this one has the potential to be more frequently used in the born-again believer's life than all the others. Would you agree with that? Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. Maybe that says a lot. It also is used as a way to cover up all the others. Some of the sins that we see in verse 5, which, which 50 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, probably even 10 years ago, a lot of those sins were like, ooh, keep those in the closet, keep them hidden, and people would lie about them. Now what we're seeing is people openly embracing them. But there tends to be, you know, if a husband is cheating on his wife, it's going to be based in a lot of lies, isn't it? Um, if people are motivated by greed to the point where they're, they're maybe stealing from their business or, or things like that, it's going to be, it's going to be just wrapped up in, in lies. But after all, if a lie doesn't really hurt anyone, is it really that big a deal? Yes. It was just a little white lie. It was just a half truth. It was a fib. I just, I just fibbed a little bit. But Paul says to rid yourself of all these things. See, we can get into Colossians verse 3, and we can get the seek and set principle. That's awesome. We love that. And then we can kind of progress into practical application. Oh, I want to apply the seek and set principle into my life. I think I want to focus on the heavenly things. I'm going to seek and set my mind on those. That's going to change my day. That's going to change my attitude. That's going to change my outlook. That's going to change my hope. But then Paul jumps into to verse 5 through the beginning of verse 9, and he really lays out things in verse 5. Man, these are the things that, that, that you were engaged in before you came to Jesus. And we say, oh my, that's, that's rough stuff. I'm thankful that I'm a born-again believer and I'm not consumed with those things. And then Paul says, but wait a minute here, there are some things that you need to rid yourself of. Again, I love the way Paul constructs his writings. He leads us into it, right? 
Because after all, we're supposed to be seeking and setting ourselves on the heavenly things. But if we're looking at the verse 5 things, we're looking at the verse 8 things, and we're looking at the beginning of the verse 9 things, how can we be seeking and setting our mind on those things that are above? So we go from the bad things to the, the everyday things. Paul says you've got to die to yourself You've got to disregard it. You've got to cast it off. You've got to get those things away from you. And then here are the things that you have to, you have to rid yourself of these. Again, we are not to question these things upon the basis of punishment. But rather we expose these things in regard to the, to the freedom that we have in Christ. We don't look at this list and say, well, I don't do those things because I understand that we can't do those things. Rather, we don't do them because we want to glorify God. I think all of us in here, you want to glorify God. See, the outcome may be similar, but the motivation is very different. And I'll be honest with you, one of them it will bring you self-condemnation but the other one will bring you humble repentance. How many of you guys know humble repentance is good? Jen, don't go anywhere. Come on this way. You're going the wrong way. Worship team, come on up. Jen really wanted to finish out verse 9. And we'll get to that next week. But I, I, think, I think for today, what, what Paul has brought us to, what the Holy Spirit has guided us in the knowledge that's been conveyed to us, the way, our thinking process, all of that, the idea of dirty laundry and pointing fingers and saying, hey, hey man, my salvation is based upon, upon at least I'm not as bad as those others, the anger, the rage, the malice, the, the potty talk, the lying, the, all of those things. It, it all comes to here. And, and, and Paul says, you've got to rid yourself of those things, yet we can't rid ourselves of those things on our own no matter how hard you try no matter how hard you try you will not do it upon your own and every time you try to do it by yourself and you fail self-condemnation comes in so what we need to do is we need to bow ourselves to the king in humble repentance and say lord Help me to rid myself of these things. Help me to, to rid myself of those things that I struggle with. We have a couple last questions here. What do you need to rid yourself of? That's the theologic, that's the thought process of, of it. So you're, you're thinking in your brain, oh, Oh, these are things that I need to rid myself of. So that's the, that's the knowledge, right? The Holy Spirit is giving you that knowledge. Here's what you need to rid yourself of. And, and that's great to know and understand. Oh, yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for showing me what I need to rid myself of. Now I'm going to leave here not the same way that I came in and we'll go to lunch, right? Can't stay there. Because we have to ask our question, the question, what do I need to rid myself of? But then I have to say, okay, what am I willing to do about it? Practical application. Practical application right there. The idea coming to fruition in the application. If you want to bring them lights down, that would be great.
We're going to go into uh, worship. I know this is a new thing that we do. It's called an altar call. It's called altar time. It's called a time where we can respond and come up here. Not new at all, is it? And some of you maybe have been sitting in your seat Sunday after Sunday after Sunday knowing that God is calling you, hey, go up and just kneel down and go up and pray and maybe maybe you, somebody will pray with you or maybe you need to go up so you can pray with somebody and maybe you just need to go up to hang out with Jesus. But it's that practical application. It's knowing, knowing what I need to do and actually doing it. So as we go into this last song, of course the altar is open. I would expect, this is my expectation, I would expect the altar to be full today with the list that we just went over that we're supposed to rid ourselves with. But I know in reality, it's a fight. I was there at one time, it's a fight to just humbly come before the Lord and kneel down and say, God, take it all. I'm ridding myself. I'm taking it off and I'm casting it away. And it's just not that you cast it away, but you actually cast it to Jesus and his blood. It brought the forgiveness of sins. It incinerates that stuff. Don't pick it back up. Leave it here at the altar. So this morning, if there's things in your life that the Holy Spirit is just prompting you, saying, hey, you should rid yourself of these things, again, that knowledge is great. It's where the, the, uh, the self-look, we look in at ourselves. self-evaluation comes in. But the practical application is born out of the self-accountability. God says that I need to change this. It's different than saying, God said I need to change this. And I admit that he is right and I need to, to change this. And that's, that's just the line of getting to the, what is the practical application of that. So I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to open up these altars. If you need prayer, we're going to get prayer going. If you just need to worship God, we're going to get that going. If you need to bow down and repent and confess, we're going to have that going. It's, a, it's just a smorgasbord of altar time here this morning. So please be faithful and diligent in what the Holy Spirit is prompting you to. Heavenly Father, Lord. We're naturally a fearful people. We're naturally a people that are born into our sin nature. And Lord God, you're telling us to rid us of that. But to many of us, that's scary. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you bring into our mind those things that we need to rid ourselves of. But Lord God, in your wisdom, you also bring us to a point where you say, I'm telling you what it is, but you have to make those steps. So, Lord, this morning I pray that people have the courage and the determination and the longing to get before you, to humbly repent, and to glorify the powerful name of Jesus by leaving that junk here and truly leaving here different than we came in. Jesus, we trust you and we pray this in your holy name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let that be our prayer. Spirit, lead me. The reason I love altar calls and altar time is it's that practical application. It's us listening. Oh, pastor said this, 
But far too many times in churches, pastor says this, and then it cuts short, and it's like, I'm so ready to, to give it to God and respond. And, but I didn't have an opportunity. They went into announcements or something. We're not going to do that here. We're going to give you time to respond because it's so vitally important in furthering your walk in that practical application, that self-accountability. Thank you for being faithful and listening to the Holy Spirit. And we don't leave here saying, well, I did that, now I'm good. We leave here saying, oh God, you're amazing. I want more of you. I want even more. So let's consume this town with more. The more that Jesus has for each one of us to speak life, to bring light into those who are sitting in darkness. If we want our town to change, it's up to us. Don't trust in the politicians. Don't trust in the governor. Don't trust in the judges. It's you guys. It's the Christian believer that needs to rise up and set the standard for our society. Take hold and take responsibility. This is our time. We're watching what's going on in Israel. This is our time. It's our time to shine. And what we're doing is we're reflecting Christ. That's where the shining is coming from. So this week, I ask you to pray earnestly that God give you at least one opportunity to have a God conversation, to invite somebody, to help somebody through a hard time, to glorify Jesus. Amen. I ask you to earnestly pray that and ask God of that. I believe that's a prayer that he will answer and then have the eyes to recognize it and the boldness to actually pursue it. All in the name of knowledge and wisdom of his word, man, it's what he wants us to do. If you missed last week and you didn't give an offering to, to what we're sending to Israel, you can still do that. You can still designate that offering. We want to continue to support the, the, just the tragedies that are happening there. So with that being said, good job. Let's rid ourselves. We don't just rid ourselves. Where we, where we give something up, God puts something in. So continue to grow in Christ and stepping out in Christ. Thank you for being here. Be blessed. Just glorify Jesus. Amen. Amen. Cause if you say it. This concludes today's message. We hope you can join us next Sunday for services beginning at 10 o'clock a.m. at Bridge Assembly located at 725 Granite Avenue in Helena, Montana. For more information about Bridge Assembly, go to bridgehelena.com. And we hope you can join us next Sunday with Pastor Jason Metz.